Welcome to In Your Face Last Cast for a special Final Four edition of our show. We're going to be joined up by Joe Bresci, head honcho at the University of North Carolina. Coach Bresci is in his eighth season as head coach. Prior to UNC, he's had an incredible 11-season run at Ohio, at Ohio State University. The 1990 Carolina alum was tapped head coach at UNC in June of 2008 and has hit the ground sprinting ever since. Coach Bresch has had eight straight years of double-digit wins, eight straight years of making NCAA tournament, eight straight years of compiling some of the best recruiting classes in the country. However, just last week, for the first time since 1993, UNC will dab itself into the Final Four. As an alum, as a coach, <laughs> I bet you couldn't be more proud, Coach, but congrats and thanks so much for coming on to the show, Coach Bresch. Really, really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you guys having me, and uh, we are certainly uh, dabbing our way to the Final Four for sure. We're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're thrilled and excited and, and um you know, certainly an emotional weekend last week, and and um, you know, so many people are excited for for the program and the players, and you know, all the hard work. Uh, as you guys know, being you know coaches yourself, how how much time and energy is put into the to the process and the journey, and and for this to be one of the more uh, intriguing uh, journeys <laughs> I've ever been a part of in my 19 years of coaching to to uh, see these young men develop uh, throughout the year after a slow 3-3 three and three start and, and to put themselves in a position to be one of four teams standing at the end is, is quite an accomplishment by these guys. And I'm so proud of them and, and excited for them and looking forward to what lies ahead. Well, uh, Joe Brash, we're going to get right in your mittens, as you would say. Uh, <laughs> you know, with the first question here, uh, you know, I think anybody – that is close to you and is uh, you know passionate about the success of North Carolina's men's lacrosse program knows that your program has been back for many years given the change in culture um, you know but as it relates to those on the outside that don't know Joe Brescia is the man that don't necessarily look and notice Carolina any more than they notice any of the other division one programs. You know, I think that those people on the outside looking in are right now in a position where they, you know, have to agree that UNC is back given your win over Notre Dame last weekend in the quarters, the way that you won the game and the upcoming game versus Loyal in the Final Four this Saturday. And what can, can you pinpoint, if you had to, and I'm sure it's you know, a conglomeration of many things, but if you had to pinpoint the greatest challenge in resurrecting the Tar Heels return to national prominence since you have took over as the head coach in Chapel Hill, you know, what would you say that's been? You know, that, that's a great question, Andy. I think we've, um, you know, kind of sticking to my philosophy of um, – family academics and lacrosse when I arrived and really making it a culture of family, uh, embracing the alumni, keeping them and getting them more involved within the program. Um, you know, not only just with coming to games and having alumni weekends and so forth, but also with the networking and the job opportunities that our guys are getting now um, out of the university of North Carolina has been fantastic. The involvement in the community service activities that our guys are, are looped into is such a huge part of their growth and development as, as young men. Um, and, and just an overall passion um, 
for the game and for UNC and for the athletic department and representing the jersey that you're putting on and, and making it important. Um, I, I believe the, the biggest thing that, you know, is, or the most exciting part about it is that we stuck with it. And I, I didn't change the philosophy. I stuck with it and kept, you know, through the, the bumps and bruises along the way, uh, I stayed the course and, and the kids did and the, you know, student athletes worked so hard to uh, accomplish great greatness in the classroom and on the field and for it to all come to fruition, maybe on a season or a, a year that many people obviously didn't pick us, um, you know, being low in the national rankings and picked last in the ACC in the preseason. Um, I and for you. these guys, what's that? <laughs> I you picked, picked you. Us. Just so you know, yeah. I picked you. You did. I love it. I love yes. it. Somebody believed in us. See that? Um, you know, but it's great. And, and, you know, one of my, one of my favorite things to tell people now is we, you know, we, the grades came in from last week and we had 32 of our 45 guys on the team had over a 3.0 GPA or team GPAs wow. over three, one, um, you know, and it's been the best semester we've ever had. And, and, you know, it's, it's appropriate that these guys have, have gone the furthest in the last 24 years. That's all, that's, a, that's honestly incredible to have that. And certainly for you, to keep your mind so focused to stay the course. Um, you know, certainly as a world team defender and as a defensive-oriented coach, it looks like Chris Fives has really continued to develop under your tutelage since his arrival in 09. Talk about his impact on the defense and his time and how he's developed into both a coach um, that may soon get some serious attention from athletic departments around the country with all these job openings. Well, I, I think he should. There's no question about that. And he is uh... – not only a great coach, but a great person and a, and a tremendously tough and hard worker. Um, his relationship with the players is is off the charts, and and he pushes them, but they have that mutual respect uh, on the field, off the field, and his knowledge of the game. I mean, he's a student of the game, and he's met with coaches every summer since he arrived seven years ago to start working with me. And um, you know, I put two cents every now and then, but it's his, it's his defense, and you can see the growth and development of the guys individually, but also as a team. And it was never more evident than the game last weekend when we held, you know, game for three goals and in three quarters, which was quite a feat against one of the best offenses in the country. So, Coach Fife's is, you know, he's young, he's aggressive, he's hungry. Um, and he's going to be a head coach right around the corner. Well, staying on that defensive track, um, and just to certainly a follow-up, it seems like Brian Balcom has really stepped up to play a big role for the team over the last six games, averaging 55% in the cage, which, you know, let's be honest, was much different uh, than certainly the beginning of the season. Tell us a little bit about, about how his role has developed, certainly over the last six games, and how important he's been to the defense. Yeah, a lot of credit goes to Coach Holman and working with the goalies, and um, he does a great job with those guys and working on technique and, you know, just a lot of the skill sets and positioning and so forth just to be in the right spots at the right time. And, you know, if you look at, at growth and development at, as individual players over the course of the last three months, um, I'm not sure anybody has, has grown and, and matured as much as Brian has in the cage. Um, you know, he started five games for us a year ago. Um, he was obviously the, the main guy, number one guy coming in. It's a lot of pressure on him to, to step in and, and know that. There wasn't a lot of pressure on him behind him of guys putting heat on him. But, 
you know, we go through the season, you're three and three, you're kind of limping a little bit. You know, we had a nice game against uh, Johns Hopkins. You actually played really well against Denver, but we lost in overtime. Then we had, you know, a little bit of a hiccup, in, or he had a hiccup in the uh, Duke game. And I put in the freshman, and the freshman came in, Colin Reeder, and, and had a terrific game. And right after the game, I said, Brian, you're a goalie. You know, everybody has a tough day. And I'm telling you, from that moment on, he took off and, and has really uh, matured, taken full command of the defense. His, uh, everything he's has struggled with early in the season, he, you know, he, he attacked to improve. And um, he's really done a phenomenal job. And as you mentioned, he's in the mid-50s, although he's right around a 50% overall for the year. It's all what you do at the end of the year that matters. And he's really elevated That's right. his game. And, you know, you look in the, the fourth quarter of the Notre Dame game when they were pressing us and, you know, kind of making it look like a summer league game to an extent um, in that fourth quarter. You know, he had eight saves and uh, really did a tremendous job with the defense down the stretch there. And I couldn't be more excited. And I think really the, the play of the game in that Notre Dame game was the start of the second half where he made a save on Perkovic from, you know, 10 That's yards, right. point blank in a transition opportunity, made that save and, and spearheaded a four-goal run for us to go up 10-2. to two. So, you know, Brian Balcom has been a, a huge difference maker for us at the defense end. Now, Fresh, moving on, obviously you coached defense, and, and I was fortunate enough to have you in my uh, third senior year at Brown when I was a 25-year-old senior. <laughs> and you, you remember that time real well, and you remember yeah. – uh, I'm probably not so fondly that I never played a lick of defense. So I'm going to move on to the offensive end for the question <laughs> here. You know, yes. it seems like coming into 2016, due to the graduation of losing, you know, a few total stud three and four year starters, many of who, you know, can be in the conversation of the best all time offensive players in the history of Tar Heel lacrosse it seemed like you guys were coming into the season without, you know, sort of a true offensive identity. Can you speak a little bit about, you know, the development of the offensive end of the field this season under, you know, second-year offensive coordinator Dave Metzbauer, who I think many would consider, you know, one of the best offensive minds in the history of the sport? Yeah, no question, Andy. And I do remember, I think you played defense once for me in three years, but that's when I got um, caught. <laughs> the wrong end of the field, Joe. It was early. That was a 10 a.m. game. And you do remember that you and I were, were the first ones to take Brown along with um, head coach Pete Lasagna to the, to the final four. So uh, a huge Rather shout out ride. to, um, yeah, a huge shout out to Lars Tiffany and the Brown bears um, for getting back as well. So, Exciting times. But to answer your question about the offense, I tell you, you know, this whole team in general, but specifically the offensive end, if you watched this early in the year, it was almost as if the offense was looking for an identity and kind of looking over their shoulder at who was going to make a play because we had some tremendous superstars, the all-time leading scorer in Joey Sankey, dynamic player, Dodger, Peter, and, and uh, Jimmy Bitter, and um, one of the best midfielders ever to play in Chad Cutton and, and they would make plays when you needed them uh, in the, in the crunch time, in the timeout set plays, et cetera. And I think we spent the first half of the season kind of looking around saying um, they're out in the field saying who, who the heck's going to make the next play. And, and that's all part of the development and coach uh, Metz does a, 
terrific job. I've been around the block for many, many years and is a seasoned Wiley veteran um, and really started to mold these guys into understanding that there is no superstar. There's a bunch of really talented lacrosse players who you know, don't need to make a name for themselves, but collectively, you know, can can make history. And um, it's been really cool for them to, you know, although there's been bumps in the road, you know, after that UMass game, you know, we had a two-hour meeting and we really kind of got to the heart and soul of our program and, and one another and said, look, everybody in this program, myself, athletic trainers, you know, uh, strength coaches, players, everybody has to step up and start taking ownership for themselves. And the offense looked in the mirror and started to attack it. And guys like Luke Goldstock and Stephen Pontrello, I mean, what a story he is. After three years at the midfield to be put in an attack and spend the first six or seven games trying to get his feet on the ground a little bit and all of a sudden becoming the quarterback of our offense and, and having the kind of year that he's having is, is just phenomenal. So, you know, not only collectively them coming together and playing as a team, as a unit, because that's the only way this group can be effective and, and play and uh, be productive, but um, for them to gain the confidence and coach Metz to put them in the right spots for success is, has been a joy to watch. Well, it is, it is really fun to watch. You can see they really love you know, p- playing for you guys because the passion just falls off of these guys and they make a great play no matter who scores, no matter who makes the play, whether it's a ground ball, a feed, a back cut, uh, a finish, it seems like, you know, they can't get together soon enough to celebrate. So it's really, really fun to watch. Uh, you know, moving on, as someone that appreciates great midfielders who can face off and play defense, uh, you got to aspire to something, <laughs> uh, something that you don't. Uh, you know, Stephen Kelly has become my favorite Tar Heel to watch. I just love the way he competes in all facets of the game. You know, as talented of a technician as he is at the X, you know, it's almost more enjoyable to watch him compete for the ground ball if he mm. doesn't dictate exactly where the ball goes. And you and usually he does dictate where it goes, particularly down the stretch of this season and, and it's been at the heart of your run. You know, a random fact is that Frank actually taught me how to face off at the Cornell lacrosse camp in 1985. Uh, and so I've been aware of Stephen's success and following it and all that stuff. But can you speak a little bit about Stephen's intangibles as a kid, a competitor, a teammate? He just seems like he is uh, – if, if I was playing on a team with a guy like that, I would be willing to run into a house on fire. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, the kid is the kid is such a such a beast. Speak a little bit about yeah. his intangibles as a, a kid, competitor, teammate, sir. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you hit the word nails it as competitor. I mean, in every every drill and practice, everything that we do, full field, half field. You know, one of the things that's unique to to the position that we make our face off guys do is they're uh, they play scout team defense, and that may have started when I had Andy Towers back up into my days. That you don't want to get a start making. We got to start making our face off guys. You know what, Joe Brash? You can only lick the frying pan so many times before it realizes that before it realizes it burns your tongue. Okay, it hurts. It hurts if you lick that thing three, four times. The bubbles, blisters on the tongue. They'll come back to you. Oh, uh, but he's. I mean, I tell you, he, he's he's awesome, and, and he's not just a 
as I mentioned, a face-off guy. I mean, he does defensive scout for us against the number one offense, so he's in there playing defense. So if, if it happens where he's locked on, he knows what he's doing. And uh, But just tremendously competitive. There is no question. I mean, you, you look at a most valuable player of your team and, and what he means to the program and his heart and desire and, and how and who you know who you're going to follow. Everybody follows somebody. You know, I'm following that guy into the trenches. I mean, you know, he has honed in on his craft, struggled last year based on the rules changes, and spent the entire summer working at his craft at, at facing off and what was going to give him the best chance for success. And um, he has battled all year long and just gotten better and better, and the confidence is off the charts. It's almost it's almost scary in practice because, it's, you know, he snaps the ball to himself so quickly now that, if you want to get something accomplished or get the offense the ball, he better be on their team um, because <laughs> he's he's just dominating that dominant. And sometimes we put Rowlett up there to try to chase him down, and you know we're doing everything we can. But you know I tell you, and, and some have said that the the face off position is overrated, or the face off uh, you know the face off is overrated. Not to me. I think it's one of the most sounds like a loser. Years. That sounds like a loser. That yeah. If you don't have the ball, you're not going to score. Bottom line. Very right. simple. I know. But, so pout. You know, so bones, just pout instead. Yeah. Stephen, Stephen right. Kelly has given us the best opportunity to win these games, and you could see it down the stretch. We don't win that first Notre Dame game. We're not in the NCAA tournament. And Stephen Kelly willed us to win that game by winning 7 out of 10 in the fourth quarter and right. not giving Notre Dame the ball back. And we scored five straight goals at the end and um, seven overall eight in the fourth quarter, but seven on that run. And it was, uh, it was really special. And it was all him. He ended up scoring the game winner, 16th goal. Uh, that, um, that was an overhand yeah. bomb that my son, James has still not gotten over. Uh, <laughs> I shoot an overhand shot in that high into the corner. He still never recovered. You know, you look at Stephen Kelly and then I'll move on, but it's almost like he is fusing, you know, recent face-off, guy stud rg keenan at the x in terms of his tech technician ability along with almost more impressively his ability to scrap back ground balls after the fact a la you know craig haslinger from 1992 or 91 he's got a little bit of hazzy when he loses and he's got rg keenan on the front end that's a hell of a combination And he's got Andy um, Towers' athleticism to toss in there. Well, I'll tell you what's really, really, you know, uh, allows us to relax is that he doesn't have Andy Towers' willpower because I'm not known for that, Joe Bresch. <laughs> I'm known for my volatility and I'm known for my impulse reactions. I'm not known for my uh, willpower, that's for sure. Um, oh, yeah. Last one, well, Joe Bresch, from me, and then we'll turn it over yeah. to the, uh, the Billerica Beast. You know, seeing that you played for legendary Hall of Fame coach Willie Scroggs at Carolina where, you know, you were a first-team All-American defenseman and team captain, you know, what things did he teach you guys when you guys were there as players that you now incorporate into your approach to get the best out of the young men in your program, both on and off the off the field? You know, it was just, um, you know, for, for Hall of Fame coach Willie Scruggs, it was certainly a joy and a pleasure to play for him. Uh, his knowledge of the game was, was off the charts. And, you know, he didn't say much, but when he did speak, it, it was impactful. 
Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, you have a lot of coaches that are yellers and hooting and hollering and, and he did. And when he did, you listened. And, you know, for me, it's like, you know, that's, that's a great message because, you know, if you, if you're a yeller at kids all the time, it's going right over their head. Um, but a, a mutual respect between coach and player is, is so huge. And that's something I've taken from him as a player. It was, you know, the toughness piece, you know, he, he expected, you know, the one thing about coach, it, it was uh, it was confidence. It wasn't arrogance, but it was confidence that when we stepped on the field, we were expected to win. And, you know, that was something when I arrived that, you know, coming back here, we needed to instill in our guys that, you know, it's an expectation to win. You know, we had we had lost 18 or 19 straight ACC games over the past four years. And, you know, we got in and, and it was, you know, they didn't feel like we could win in those tight situations. And, you know, our guys, you had to build their confidence and, and build them back up. And all the guys I've been able to coach here, I'm so thrilled that, you know, they're still in my life and part of what we do. But you, you could just see over the years the confidence was gaining and gaining and gaining that, that we can do this. We can get it done here. And, and um, you know, that's something I've tried to instill that he had such an impact on me that, you know, when you step on the field, you're expected to win. And, and that's just a confidence thing, borderline, you know, ego. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you worked at it. You worked at your craft. You, you practiced hard. I remember our practices, you know, speaking of Hasslinger, Hazzy, and I used to battle. You know, I used to drop the gloves and go at it and practice. And we were really Loyola grass, right? <laughs> Two Loyola grass. Yeah. We, we played at Loyola High School together, and, and we used to drop the gloves, and we were roommates in college freshman year. So, <laughs> Uh, but we had a great respect for each other, but that's how practices were. You know, he let us fight for about two minutes and we were exhausted. We just, you know, dropped. So, uh, (laughs) but you know, it was just that sometimes at Carolina back in the day, the practices were tougher than the games um, because there's so much talent on the field. And and nowadays it's different. You know, everybody's good. Everybody has talent. There's so many kids playing the the game of lacrosse, but you know, I just remember those practices uh, and, you know, I'll kind of toss myself under the bus here. I remember my first practice down at Finley Golf Course at, at UNC was after Carolina won the national championship in 86. And my first practice up, I go against Gary Seibold, who, you know, was one of the <laughs> won the national championship. And I go yeah. one-on-one, we're doing one-on-ones. And he goes at me, changes direction once, second time, and I get hammocked in the back of the net. My first <laughs> one-on-one. <laughs> And it was, it was like, you know, and, and Gary was one of those quiet guys. Joey was not, Joey Seibold was not quiet. Gary was, Gary kind of was so, I still remember as I'm getting up, I look at him and he just kind of looks over the shoulder at me like, oh boy, you got a long way to go. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, it's those kind of memories that you, you know, take from the coaches you've been with. Like, you know, I, playing for Willie and, and Willie Scroggs and, and coaching with Dave Carmen. Dave Carmen was my defensive coach, um, you know, for my years at Carolina. And he's, yeah. you know, we still stay in touch. Great guy and um, won the national title. I was assistant under him in 91. And we're celebrating. First, his first year, years. right? First year, 17 and 0, you guys won the whole slammy. Yeah. The whole kit and caboodle. And we're celebrating them in the final four. So how appropriate. How appropriate that we're going our first one since 93 and going to celebrate the 91 team there, um, which is pretty cool. 
I love that's the 91 awesome. team is bringing you guys a lot of good fortune considering that they were at the, uh, you know, the eight to one comeback against Notre Dame. And I know that speaking to Dennis Goldstein today that they're having the, you know, the reunion party at his house on Sunday. And we can only hope that that is a prelude to the Keels Brown Bears final on Monday. Our day, our day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is the last couple of questions we've asked every single guest coach that we've had on our show, mm-hmm. are you a loyalist to Memorial Day weekend, or do you think the national championship uh, should finally be pushed a week later and maybe even the whole um, season being pushed a couple weeks later? What are your thoughts on that? I, I believe it should be pushed a, a couple of weeks later. I, I know it's a financial burden on the universities to keep the kids. I mean, we've been out of school and graduated for uh, about three weeks now, so um, – you know, the financial burden is, is tough. And, you know, obviously the, the, the guys are, you know, whether they're staying in hotels or at people's homes, other players' houses and so forth. I mean, it's a tough thing, but if I had it my way, we'd start the games, you know, the first of March, like we used to do back in the old days and, and, um, you know, have a 13, 12, 13 game season and maybe finish off the first week or two of June, um, and that would still be ending the season before baseball does in their uh, college world series. That's right. So, That's you know, I point. truly believe that you should, everybody should, based on, you know, the, the some of the weather that's going on in the Northeast is, is very difficult uh, to deal with. But that that would be my uh, my hope is that down the line, you know, maybe it does push a week or two later. That's, uh, that's incredible. Last question. Uh, you know, since you do have the high-flying attackman and have over the last – uh, at least eight years that you you coached at UNC, should the dive come back to Division One college across? Well, here, here's my opinion on the dive. I think they should expand the crease. So expand the crease another yard, okay? So if they expand the crease another yard, why yeah. and bring the dive back? So I love if it. Leave, if you leave if you leave outside the crease, jam it home, babe. Let's go. I think it should be back. No question about it. I love that. I love it. I love it. You're definitely not the first one that says to expand the crease. So thanks so much. Good, Andy. I like that. Hey, Joe Brash, I got to tell you, man, I know it's a, uh, a crazy time for you. Uh, I can't overstate how much people are pulling for you. I love you. My best to your family. I'm rooting for the heels. And uh, I just really appreciate the time, man. It's uh, it's awesome to watch you succeed the way that you are. So keep it going, brother. Well, thanks so much, Coach. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Ryan, I appreciate you as well. And Andy, I know we, uh, we were roommates up there at the Brown bear days and, and, uh, you know, I have, uh, so much respect for not only your game and, and how you deal with things. Your hoop game, too, is, is pretty darn good. <laughs> I love that hoop game. Somehow <laughs> nobody knew how to sit in a more irritating situation in spot than Joe Brest. He always made me go to the worst spot, which may be super uncomfortable. <laughs> Talk about it. Oh, man, we had fun. It's, it's been a pleasure. And, and uh, you know, we had the guys over. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. We had the guys over for uh, – dinner uh last week and we had them over tonight um for maggiano's huge huge spread of chicken cutlets you know how i like my chicken cutlets i know your mom i remember raiding your mom's fridge when we used to go on those recruiting trips and crush those (laughs) yeah i wouldn't be able to look her in the eye in the morning because i knew i ate a lot of chicken cutlets (laughs) (laughs) so we had we had the guys over uh last week and my daughter lucy my uh 
uh, third daughter, uh, Lucy, who's 10, she just happened off the cuff give the guys a four-minute pump-up speech. Um, and all oh you know, 45 guys were listening to her. And I'm like, where the heck are the guys? And I go outside, and she's on the you know, back porch giving the guys a pump-up speech about how they got to you know, double-team uh, Kavanaugh and make sure you pinch the double <laughs> on Perkovic. And I was like, you kidding me? That's so, incredible. Of course, of course, she came back tonight, and she wrote out this whole script about you know, what we have to do to defend Loyola, terrific team, and, and how we got to score yeah. goals on them this way. and uh, But just so much fun, and that's that's what we're all about, is the, the kids having fun and enjoying themselves. And, you know, nothing really has changed, Andy, from when you and I were in our early 20s. And, um, you know, it's it's all about relationships, all about people, and all about having fun. And, and by golly, we're finally having some real fun down here in Chapel Hill. Well, family, academics, and lacrosse, Joe Brash. Go Heels. We are pulling for you, brother. Appreciate the time. No doubt. Tune in to ESPN2 at 12 p.m. for the Tor Heels to take on the Greyhounds, Loyola, in the semifinals. As always, subscribe to us on iTunes and check us out on In Your Face Lax. Thank you so much, Coach Brash. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me.